Well, this morning I will be sharing the message, and we're continuing our Kingdom Come message in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's really neat. Uh, it actually wasn't planned this way at all, but um, when the idea was shared to bless the Reardons at the church council meeting Thursday, uh, it's so neat. Uh, I just love the verses, Marianne, you just shared about having been a cheerful giver, this idea of giving and sharing, because the topic actually for today, we didn't plan this, but the Lord did, is actually on on money, specifically money and God. I was thinking like, what a cool example of just having that posture. So thank you for Brendan and Marianne for leading us in that, because I think that really just ties in well to what the Lord wants to do with us today. So as we're talking about money, uh, don't get scared. I'm not going to ask you for money. So you're like, oh man, talking about money. Here we go. Um, But Jesus talked about money, and it's actually part of the Sermon on the Mount as we're going through, and we're just going through section by section. Now, as we think about money and we think about God, I'm sure we realize that (laughs) more money doesn't just result in happiness. You ever realize that, right? Just, I just got, because how much money do you need for life? It's always, I don't know, I always feel just a little bit more, right? And then you get a little bit more and like, I'm just a little bit more or a little, a lot more. And then you get a lot more and you're like, huh, why is that always a little, you ever notice that? You know what I mean? It's like, I remember uh, we had student loans for a while, for 10 years. It's going to be 15 year haul. I'm like, man, when those student loans are gone, happiness will rain down like rainbows and suns and skittles. No, I just like moving money around. You see a debt get paid off, very thankful. But the happiness, surprisingly, wasn't what I thought it would be. Sometimes, though, if we're not careful, we can try to put our sense of worth, contentment, our fulfillment, our trust, our protection in money. It is interesting. I was looking at a study. This is from 2000, uh, sorry, 2010, so what, 12 years ago. Um, I'm sure the number would be different. But it was a study on does money give any sort of emotional well-being or happiness. And so supposedly one study done in 2010 said experts say that happiness or emotional well-being does increase with wealth at some degree, but the correlation peaks at, this is from 12 years ago, so obviously with inflation it's probably higher, at 75000 per year, which maybe some of you have heard this before. Meaning when, when the felt needs, right, when you're struggling to have food or money or the basics, that stress can linger there for sure. But I thought it was interesting that at this time, 75,000, that they noticed that people just weren't at all happier with 75 or 100 or 200,000, half a million, a million. Like, it's interesting because sometimes, a lot of times in our culture, it's always projected that way. I love this quote by Jim Carrey. I've shared it before. I heard about it in an Alpha series. And I think it might pop up. But a quote by Jim Carrey, the comedian, he says, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. <laughs> it's not the truth. I wish you could get it all. If you could have whatever you could have in your most wildest dreams or whatever, realize it's not the answer. Well, we're not looking to the Times experts or Jim Carrey as our solution of hope this morning. We're looking to Jesus. So let's talk about Jesus and what he has to say about money. And we'll be looking at Matthew 6, 19 to 24. So this is Jesus speaking. And let's just lean in together and hear what the Lord wants to speak to us together through his word. So Jesus says this in verse 19. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, 
your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This would be a good time to pray. Jesus just says it like it is. God, I just thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, we're talking about a topic that, yeah, it's real. God, in our culture, in our church cultures, in our personal life, we can feel this, God. Who are we going to serve? And God, I just pray that you would just guide us and lead us today, encourage us, challenge us, convict us, whatever you want to do, so that we could end up looking more like Jesus for your glory. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. All right, so we're going to take this in like three little chunks. So we're going to look at verses 19 to 21. So Jesus is saying, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. What he's saying, though, is not necessarily like you can't have money. So I don't want you to hear like, oh, you should just get rid of all your money. I mean, if Jesus asked you to do that, yeah, listen to Jesus. But what he's saying here is don't put your trust, everything into what you own, specifically your treasures, money, and what you can buy with that. And he gives these examples where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Realizing that these treasures that oftentimes we like invest so hard for, they eventually just rot out, or in this example, moss could destroy it, or they give the example of thieves breaking in, or that, that word can be like digging in. In the Palestinian time, the houses were made out of mud, the idea that you could dig through a wall and steal someone's valuables. Realizing that, yeah, you could, you, those things that we hold so, so tightly and closely eventually can just fade away. Have you ever noticed that when you get something you really like, or maybe you get like some clothes, you're like, this item, this clothes, and then five years later you find it in a bin? Oh, yeah. Wasn't, that, wasn't I so excited about the spring collection, you know? Or this one truck is going to get me super pumped, or this bike, or this article of clothing, or if you're a nerd tech guy, this technological piece is going to be so awesome for me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, how much do we mark this up for Crystal in the tag sale? You ever notice that, right? Things can just rot away, or things can destroy it, or sometimes people will even steal it if they want it more than you do. But Jesus is a do not store, do not put all your effort into just treasure accumulation of wealth because you're missing out on something far greater and more valuable jesus says to store up your treasure somewhere where vermin moth and thieves cannot destroy or touch it destroy it up the, the, the store it up in heaven now in the past couple weeks jesus gave us three examples that we looked at of doing things in such a way where your heavenly father would see them and he would reward you so there's three examples the first one from a couple weeks ago was giving to those in need. Remember this? Give to others, but don't do it in a way of trying to get attention. And your Heavenly Father who sees you giving a secret will reward you. There's a little bit of this hint of storing up treasures in heaven. What is it exactly does it look like? Not exactly sure, but if God says it's better to invest in heaven than earth, I want to be investing in the right place. How about you? Right? Yeah, okay. Also, not just giving to the poor and doing it in a very humble kind of I don't want attention way. But also, uh, when, you're, when, you're, when you're praying, pray in such a way that you're honoring God. Don't do it for try to get human recognition because your Father sees what you do in secret will reward you. Man, heavenly treasure in the bank. What does it look like? It's probably a whole lot different than what we think because <laughs> we oftentimes treasure things that God doesn't treasure. The third thing was, and Aaron was mentioning it last week, was fasting. really appreciate that message, Aaron, on fasting and that encouragement to fast. 
Um, but he was mentioned, hey, you fast this way, Heavenly Father will reward you. And something, you kind of went on like a discourse into sneaky idols off of fasting. Anyone notice that last week? Anyone getting convicted last week? I was like, oh, sneaky idols, the way the Lord had you phrase that. I don't know, it just, it just stayed with me. I was thinking, Lord, is there sneaky idols? This idea, idolatry is just putting anything above God. So just think of that. But the sneaky idols, it's the ones that slowly get into your life. Sometimes we're bold and we just go hard after some idol. Like you might remember the parable Jesus used of the prodigal son. And I'm not going to break down the whole story, but the beginning of it, he went to his dad while he's still alive and says, I want my inheritance. I wouldn't call that a sneaky idol. Maybe there's sneakiness in the parable. But that's a pretty bold move. Dad, give me all your money on the upfront. I'm going to go live for me. And obviously it's a parable, so you shouldn't try to look into it too far. That's pretty bold. But I think money can definitely be a very strong sneaky idol if we have to be honest. I know it has been in my life before. I remember before I went to Bible school, my goal before that was always to get an MBA, to work in business, probably work in Boston. I love people, love tech, love that whole place. And my mom's like, why don't you check out this little Bible school? I feel like the Lord wants you and your brother Dave to go check it out. So I went there, and I'm like, all right. And then the Holy Spirit encountered me in a powerful way, encountered God. I was like, all right, Lord wants me to go here for one year. But after one year, what are we doing? NBA in this city, making money. That was my plan. And not to say making money is bad, but if that's your number one plan over Jesus, that is bad, because that's an idol. So then I went there, did a year. Then I went to a three-year program, do an MBA. Then I thought, maybe I'll get an undergraduate so then I can get an MBA. So then I went to another program, get an MBA. Then I came up here as an intern, wanted to still get an MBA after being here for six months. Do you sense a theme that maybe there might be a sneaky idol going on here, right? And Jesus is so good, he's just like, no, I want me to be your treasure. Does anyone else relate with that? I want Jesus to be my treasure. I don't want anything else besides Christ. And the Lord might lead you to places that you're serving and you're running businesses and you're highly successful, right? But let that success be nothing compared to the treasures in heaven, amen? You can hold it lightly because eventually it will come and it will go. Jesus says it this way in verse 21. Wow. I often think of this in the opposite, but Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you treasure the most is where your heart will be, your affection, your mind, your thoughts, what you care about. I guess the question we could start with at this point is what do you treasure most? And you can think about this. What do you treasure most? And then I'd like you to ask yourself, if it's not Jesus, why? Is there something else like a sneaky idol or a bold idol that's competing for your heart? It's a great time to pause and just ask the Lord, God, forgive me. Repentance is the idea of just admitting you've done wrong, asking God for forgiveness, not doing a 360, because that's just back to it, doing a 180 and following after Jesus. Lord, if you're realizing that, God, there's some, there's some stuff in my heart, and I realized my first treasure when I thought of it was not you, repent, and God can set you free, and you can walk after the real treasure. Jesus continues in verse 22 to 23. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And first when I was reading this, I didn't quite understand what it meant. So I was studying it, and uh, there's some different, uh, I guess, commentaries will say different things on this. But essentially, 
a lot of it is likened to the eye being similar to the heart. Um, this idea, too, of, eye, of, of the eye being the gateway to the body in the sense of seeing light. If light's coming in and it's clear what you're looking at, your whole body would be full of light. But if you're looking at something that's dark and it's filled of darkness, how deep is that darkness? Also, all the commentaries will mention that this idea of like your eyes being unhealthy, um, that it's almost like having a split vision or a dual vision. Idea of trying to keep your eyes on two different things at the same time, which actually fits in well, because what Jesus is about to say at the end of these verses hits is this duality that we try to do sometimes, which just does not work. Jesus is like, what are, you, what are you looking at? First, let's talk about what you treasure, because that's where your heart will be. Second, what are you focusing on? What are your eyes focusing on? Which also hits into where's your heart? Because oftentimes we focus on the things that we treasure the most. I had a couple of verses I want to share. In Scripture, sometimes Jesus does invite people to give up everything to come follow him. Um, you might remember Peter and Andrew when they were in the boat, and Jesus said, come follow me. Now, their vocational lifestyle was fishing. That's what they did. That was their job. That was their income. Jesus said, literally, follow me. They left their whole, like, literally the boat and just came follow him. Two other guys, James and John, were fishing with their dad. I'm assuming they loved their dad, or maybe this was an easy way out. I don't know. But Zebedee was in there with them, and he says, come follow me. They leave Zebedee in the boat and the whole job, and they come follow. Just give up everything. Jesus was talked about the kingdom of God in two parables I wanted to share. This is from Matthew 13, 44 to 46. It's about the hidden treasure and the pearl of great value. And let's not get lost in thinking it's about selling something or giving something for something that's more valuable as far as materials. It's talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. So in Matthew 13, 44, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. All right, so you got this. We got treasure hidden in a field. Oh, man, if you're in the pirate movies, you're getting excited. When a man found it, he hid it again. So this guy finds it, he hits it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had to, to purchase or bought that field. So this picture of someone finding treasure, selling everything they could have, realizing that they're getting a greater treasure. And once again, we're not talking about actual jewels and rubies. We're talking about the kingdom of heaven being that greater treasure. Another example, another story. Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And it's this whole idea of like all-in investment on the kingdom of God. This idea that I'm all-in, Lord. Whatever you want me to do, I'm ready. God, you want me to switch vocations? I'm down for that. God, you want me to give up the money? I'm down for that. Give it to the poor? Okay. We'll see examples in a moment of someone who struggled with that and chose the opposite. There was a man in, uh, in actually in Acts 9 to 25. Probably don't have time to read all this. No. Uh, I'll give you a summary. Essentially, there's a guy named Simon. He's a sorcerer. He works in witchcraft. And you'll see this a lot in Acts. There's other spirits out there that can do things. Do you realize that? There's a spiritual realm, and you'll see that in the scriptures. They could foretell things. They had power. They couldn't be bound. They're like unstoppable in some limited lit sense. I say that just to realize we're in a spiritual battle. Arm up. But anyways, this guy, Simon, uh, yeah, he's a sorcerer. He practiced magic in the city, and he amazed the people of Samaria. But then when he saw <laughs> what was happening, uh, because Philip was preaching the good news, he realized that Philip was doing preaching not based on some demonic spirit and seeing miracles, but on the spirit, the Holy Spirit. So Simon wanted this gift, but he had like this duality. He wanted a gift of God, but he thought he could purchase it. 
This is what it says in verse 18. Now, when Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Because in his mind, this is probably the greatest thing you could give someone. Saying, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you, could, you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Whew. For Simon, obviously, there's a discipleship thing. and There's a repentance option here for Simon, which is great. But you can see he was still struggling with money, right? This idea that he could do sorcery, magic, and be like the greatest person in that area and make money. Now he's thinking he can use money as a follower of Jesus to get things from God. We realize that's not how it works. Money means a lot to us. It doesn't mean that much to God. <laughs> I remember when I first met John All, I think it was in Virginia, he told me a joke about how heaven was just, uh, it was paved with, uh, I forget how you ordered it, but essentially paved, the paving material is just gold in heaven. And I remember thinking that as a five-year-old John, I was like, whoa, <laughs> they pave in heaven with gold? Isn't that like what we always search after? Or maybe now it's Bitcoins, you know? Is that a Bitcoin road? <laughs> that the most treasured things on this planet are literally what you walk on in heaven. If that doesn't reorient maybe how we're living our lives, yeah, I don't know what will. <laughs> so let's move on. So Jesus goes on about the masters. He says, no one can serve two masters. And it's interesting, he's not saying employers, masters, meaning you'll be slave to one or the other. Either you'll hate the one and you'll love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And is that not one of the greatest temptations today? God did not put himself, again, you can't just go after just crazy sexual living or God, right? Or just incredible power and God, right? He could have put himself against anything, and not that money compares at all compared to Jesus. We know God is far greater than any demonic thing, any money, any materialism. He, he made the whole universe. Obviously, it's nothing compared to him. But it is interesting compared to us. Our hearts oftentimes will go between money and God. Who are we going to search? And I, I've, I've done this on my own. I'll just be honest. I'm sure you have too. I really want to serve Jesus but I'm going to serve money first. Jesus will be a solid, a solid second, right? Just a solid I will fit in Jesus to most of my decisions as long as the first one doesn't get pushed away. <laughs> I've done it. If we had to be honest, I think we probably all have done this at different times. And if we're not careful, we can live our whole life this way, which is tricky. You can be in a Christian culture sometimes, and you almost say the right words, you say the right things, but Jesus isn't looking for external things or external words as the source of where our treasure is. What does Jesus look at? He looks at the heart, right? He looks at the heart. So the question is, uh, wow, is my giving outstanding right now? Nah. There were some religious leaders that they were really proud about giving once. They were like, look at us. We're giving in the coin box. And look at this poor person over here, sinner, trying to give. Jesus said, those religious people gave out of their extra. But this other person that they're judging gave all they had. Jesus knows our hearts. And Jesus wants our hearts to be freed up to serve him, not money. Money here also can be transliteration for that in Greek or Hebrew or whatever. Um, not Hebrew, but uh, in Greek is also mammon, which translates to wealth or property um, as well. So we looked at, well, where's your treasure at this morning? Where's my treasure? Where's our heart at? 
what's our vision looking at, but also whom or what do you serve? And I want to give this example in Mark 10, 17 to 27. I was alluding to it. Um, and once again, I'll just say as a preface, Jesus is asking this person to do one very specific thing. God, I'm not saying that God's asking you to do this. But if he was asking you to do this, would you be willing to do it? So Mark 10, 17 to 27. Let's look at this passage together. This is with the rich, young ruler. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. This guy seems like he's doing pretty good, I would say. Verse 21, and Jesus looking at him, loved him, let's remember this, loved him, and he said to him, so Jesus is saying this to him out of love. <laughs> God knows what we need far better than what we do, amen? This is going to be really hard what he's about to ask him. It's easy to judge people in the Bible until you're the one that gets asked. <laughs> you lack one thing, this is what Jesus says, go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven and come and follow me. Now, when we see Peter and Andrew, they left their business. We have James and John. We see others who just leave everything and follow Jesus. You can get excited reading this for the first time. Man, this is going to be exciting. Jesus, out of love, knew what was holding this young man back. Verse 22 says, Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Man, I don't know about you, that just breaks my heart, right? He's getting to actually interact with Jesus in person. The Messiah, the one that everyone's been waiting for. He's literally be keeping scripture. This guy sounds like right on the ball. I don't know how he's doing it all, but he's literally keeping the commandments of God, looking at the Ten Commandments. He's doing it all. But that duality of vision, right, that Jesus is saying, you can't serve both God and money. He was doing all the right steps, doing all the right commands, but when it came down to it, when it's like, who's he serving? Is it God or is it going to be money? It looks like God. I mean, you just mentioned all the Ten Commandments. Probably his friends and family would say, oh, yeah, he's serving God too. But when it came down to it, because Jesus knew where his heart was at, he's like, give everything up and give it to the poor and come follow me. And in that moment, we can see his heart and his treasure wasn't Jesus. It was money. In that moment, he's decided to serve money instead of serving God. Verse 23, and Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's not impossible, difficult. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them, children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were uh, exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Like, this seems like an impossibility. Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible with God, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Whew. Thankful that the possibility remains on God and not us. When you look at this, and you might think, well, I'm not rich. I know some of us are, but some of us are not. When we compare ourselves to the global economic world, I mean, this is probably like from 10, 15 years ago, and you've heard this before. I'm not the first one to share it. But the average income for most people around the globe is about two plus dollars a day. 
So if you're thinking, whew, I'm glad I'm the poor person that's trying to reach the 75K, with inflation it's probably higher, just realizing we're actually already in the rich category relative to the globe. So when you look at verses, it's sometimes like, well, I'm not the rich person. Globally, we actually are. So once again, when we look at this scripture in Mark, realizing that God, I'm not saying that God's specifically asking you to do this, but if he did ask you to do this, would you be willing? If God asked you to give up everything and give it to the poor, would you be willing? And your gut reaction sometimes can be helpful to show where your heart is. If it's an instant no, there might be some growth there, I would think. <laughs> right? And we can do this with a lot of things. I mean, we're talking about money. I know this can be heavy because money's just so real and it offers so much, like, just a little more encouragement, like, you know, protection, power, status, all these things, luxury, whatever, basic needs. But realizing that God is our provider, amen? God is our provider, not money. Money is almost like its own little demigod thing that tries to just, like, follow me, follow me. I remember once talking to a dad, not, not anyone from up here, and he was telling me I was working double shifts at a job. And I was begging with him, saying, dude, you're losing your family. You're losing your wife, you're losing your kids. You know what he told me? This one guy said, you know, he's like, at work, I'm a hero. He's like, I make so much money working there, and I'm a hero. I'm like, you know you're going to lose your family, right? He's like, yeah, but it just takes so much more effort at home. I'd rather be a hero at work. Double income, double money. And then he did. He lost it all. I just think like, wow, God's not kidding around. When he's saying we can live for money or we can live for God, he's not just saying that's like some cool things to consider. There's different paths we can take. And let me tell you, they don't result in the same destination. When we live for just ourselves and just our income and storing up for us and more money and more greed. Marianne mentioned this morning, may we have a cheerful heart when it comes to generosity. And that be cheerful while giving means we got to hold whatever we have. Maybe it's just a couple dollars, or maybe it's a couple million, whatever you have, just with our hands open to God, right? God, whatever I have is yours, right? Whatever vocation I have, my job, my income, Lord, I just, I want you to have it. And that seems unreasonable that maybe we've forgotten what Jesus has done on the cross for us, right? Because Jesus, he didn't give us money as a way for us to be saved. He died on the cross so that we could have life and life to the full. The greatest debt that was ever paid was not my student loans, even though it was large. Amen, Crystal? Mm, 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 mm. It's not your credit card debt, nor is it you getting an excess amount of money. Once again, you can have money. I'm not saying that. I just don't love it. The greatest debt that was ever paid was on the cross, your sin and my sin on the cross. And when we have that perspective of, God, you gave your life for me, so let's not even talk about money now. My whole life, God, is for you. Isn't that awesome? So then the money conversation is actually quite simple. Jesus said, come after me. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and come after me. If we have that posture as Christ followers, let me tell you, money is not that hard to handle anymore. Instead of us being handled by money, we can just let it go. Seek first his kingdom. Just watch God take care of the rest. But it does take a letting go, which can be really, really hard. But I want to encourage you, just like the person who found treasure in a field and gave up all they had to buy it, the kingdom of God is far more rewarding than anything on this planet. Amen? 
eternity. We were singing it this morning. Thanks, Diane, for leading us. I can only imagine. I was just thinking about that. I can only imagine. Man, that's way better than just thinking about stocks, retirement, savings, bonds, whatever. I can only imagine what my, my Heavenly Father's going to say, my Savior's going to say. Lord, whatever you want me to give up in any way, it's nothing compared to knowing you.